In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about how the aftermath of breast cancer treatment is eerily similar to those middle school and high school years of going through puberty. Hair is weird, sex is weirder, and there's even acne to boot. And you thought one and done was good enough for puberty, right? Well, here we go again. But before we get into today's story, a quick shout out to some wildfire happenings. The annual body issue is coming out shortly. This year's focus for this issue is changing landscapes from medical changes like the deep flap crisis to the changing landscape of the body. For some, chest surgery has opened them up to understanding their identity in ways they never thought possible before or never thought about before. So we'll be showcasing stories like that and more. As always, the body issue is chock full of gorgeous, life-changing photos. It's truly transformational to see someone else rocking your same scars and looking so beautiful and confident. That confidence can be contagious. So be on the lookout for the body issue coming June 17th, available in digital forever and in print while supplies last. All right, on to today's story. My guest today is Lauren Oxenhandler. Lauren was diagnosed at 30 with stage 2B triple negative breast cancer. And the bio I'm about to read to you is one that Lauren wrote and submitted with her essay way back in 2018. So we'll see what updates she has for us. And at that time, she shared the following with me. Lauren is a life coach. Prior to her breast cancer diagnosis, she started her own business as a career coach after a decade of HR and coaching experience. In 2018, she pivoted her business to specifically empower young people of all genders to take charge of their chest health as well as support young people in the cancer community as they face life after cancer. Lauren identifies as a seeker of connections to the world and other people via travel. And at the time of writing this bio, she was working her way to living and traveling full-time in a remodeled RV with her partner of nine years, Ryan, and their three cats. Lauren's a lover of the ocean, polydactyl cats, community, and laughter. Her motto is go, do, now. Hey, Lauren, welcome to The Burn. Hey, April. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) So first off, I don't usually ask questions at the beginning of these, but I need to know what a polydactyl cat is and if there is any other update to your bio. (laughs) So polydactyl cats, uh, also known as Hemingway cats, have extra toes. So one of my cats has seven toes on his front and six on his back feet. And one of mine has six on the front feet as well. And so they just like look like mittens. They have like opposable thumbs and they're amazing. I highly recommend playing with some. I love that. That is amazing. Yeah. 
Okay, I'm going to be on the lookout for those. Um, but so what about the rest of your bio? Is there any quick update you need to do before we get into your story? Um, so I'm still running my own business as a life coach and really enjoying that. I'm also now the director of programming with the Breasties, um, supporting all of our online support group spaces. Um, still with my partner and the three cats, uh, now living in Chicago, Illinois. So not living in an RV, yes, though. Yes, Correct. She's in storage. Ladybug <laughs> is her name. Um, she lives in the suburbs near uh, my partner's parents' house for now. Awesome. And I love that you named her. I think names are important. So mm -hmm. very cool. Okay. Well, let's get into the story that we are here to discuss. And maybe um, Polydactyl Cats and Ladybug will come up again after we hear from you. But let me just introduce your story. So you're reading a piece that you called Puberty in Purgatory at 31. This, as I said, came from our 2018 issue of Body, and this essay is also featured in the Wildfire book that's out now called Igniting the Fire Within. So Lauren, after you read, we will chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Lauren, I'll let you take it away. Beautiful. Thank you. So today I am reading Puberty in Purgatory at 31. I'll never forget the day in sixth grade history class when my brave best friend took it upon herself to tell Kiki Berman that her period blood had seeped through her otherwise airy looking light khaki linen pants. The look on her face of sheer horror and panic as to what to do next is forever etched in my brain. I didn't have a clue what happened to Kiki once she left class, but I knew two things. One, Kiki Berman does, in fact, have her period, contrary to popular belief. And two, periods are surprise parties that can ruin all sorts of pants, plans, and dreams. I was somewhat jealous of Kiki, as my pubescent story is a cliche one that starts with most of the girls in your friend group already having their periods, but you're the one waiting for Big Red in the checkout line. It is a sort of envy that causes inner turmoil over what it must be like to finally feel like one of the girls. This is in middle school nonetheless, where fitting in isn't a realistic goal, but everyone tries to achieve it. My inner monologue wouldn't shut up. Everyone has it, what if I don't ever get mine? I learned that waiting patiently is a hard game to play. At least my boobs had grown beyond buds, but the waiting to see how big they would get and worrying if my nipples were weird kept my anxiety pretty constant. Some of my friends used pads, others were brave enough to stick a tampon up there, but we all used the excuse that we had our period and used pads in order to skip swimming days during gym class. Lucky for me, it was an excuse you could make before you got your period too. Something you promised in society as a kid with a vagina is that you'll ultimately make it into some club where everyone in it bleeds religiously every month and also gets horny and rude. Of course, you don't know about those membership perks until you join, or rather your body signs you up. When I least expected it, and everyone's conversations had already shifted from blood to boobs, I got my period too. And of course, it was in the middle of a warm school day in a building with no AC, and I'm in khaki fucking shorts, just like Kiki's. Thanks, dress code. I confided in my bestie the same bestie who told Kiki about her dire situation, and she was not currently riding the tide with supplies to spare, but she confidently walked me to get one from the nurse and hung with me in the bathroom while I adhered a pad to my underwear for the first time. 
I was excited to finally be a part of the club, but no one else seemed to care or notice that I'd been waiting to join. Whatever, I had boobs. Somewhere along the line, I learned that having my period means that I could have a baby and that I'd need to protect myself from getting pregnant until I wanted a baby. I dreaded my monthly flow and its impact on my rabbit-like sex life before I found out that everyone has sex on their period. By my mid-twenties, my monthly period became just another chore to tick off my to-do list. Then, sometimes, my period was as reassuring as the best friend I needed at the end of a bad blind date to tell me my ex wants me back. Phew! Got my period, not pregnant. My boobs looked great when they swelled with my flow, and they hadn't started sagging yet, so going braless at music festivals or anywhere was my prerogative. I could easily identify my favorite features, two of which were my breasts. Let's be honest. They basically had their own fan club and social media following. At least that's the pedestal I put them on. My breasts were a big part of the process of starting to learn how to feel confident in my body, as well as a means for external validation through sex with folks who loved them. My 20s were special. Then I fell in love with a man who eight years later, I really wanted to make a tiny human with and the future looked dreary and filled with only love and gratitude. That's when the universe threw a Molotov cocktail through my window for seemingly no reason, and I woke up in a doctor's office in a pink cloth gown no woman should have to wear. Fast forward eight months, and a stage two triple negative breast cancer diagnosis, and somehow I endured six months and 16 rounds of chemotherapy, followed by a nipple and skin scarring, double mastectomy, with immediate prepectoral implantation of expanders. A surgery best described as removing the breast tissue but keeping the breast skin, nipple, and areola intact so that my future implants have good curb appeal. Who am I kidding? These eight months did not fly by or fast forward and I found myself in a pubescent purgatory waiting to feel like one of the girls again, if at all. Trapped between realities of who I once was who I had become and who I wanted to be all over again. This time in my 30s, I'm reminded of the excitement, fear, and the what the fuck is happening of waiting for my period and growing boobs for the first time. These eight months without my trusty bloody buddy, coupled with some bionic woman type shit happening on my chest, and I can't help but feel a similar state of limbo that I did in middle school. It's the same waiting to get your period so you can fit in with your friends feeling. This time, it's not really the period you care about, but the baby-making abilities implied when and if my period will come back. And this time, everyone else notices when you're not already part of the club. I'm not a fan of statistics, but they say I have a 70% chance of coming out of menopause. Yes, that's right. I don't just not have my period. I'm in full-on, straight-up, Menno fucking pause. Menopause was the gift I got during chemo, and it started in the same month as my 31st birthday. Not exactly how I planned to continue winning at life in my 30s. Sure, it's been nice not to deal with it on a logistical level, but on a let's get real bitch level, a few times I've had sex in the past eight months have been downright painful and just as awkward as it was when I was a virgin. So now let's add in the best element to puberty of all, our first awkward sexual encounters. 
at least this time is with someone I love and trust with my whole being, and not just some guy from my high school I met in a hot tub. Add in the hot flashes and the mood swings, and this menopause feels like a period on steroids minus the blood. I'm growing a new pair of foobies, and they aren't going to compare to the originals. So my expectations are managed a bit. The process of growing a new pair isn't as fun or exciting as the first time, especially when it's time for a fill. You're sitting there, topless, and think, fuck, your chest is numb, as you glance back and forth between looking down at your chest and up at the mirror in front of you to literally watch your boobs grow. It's so black mirror that I don't know what to do with myself during or afterwards because I'm intrigued, disgusted, entertained, and immediately regretting all of my life choices all at the same time. Of course, with more saline comes more discomfort as the expanders do their job of stretching my skin to accommodate a more permanent solution to this purgatory. I only want enough to shake, but not to get in the way. So this process hopefully shouldn't take too long. So here I am, 31, and going through puberty again, which now that I'm writing this down, I realize is my worst nightmare come true. In the end, it's not about the old tits or the new tits. It's not about the lack of blood or babies coming out of my vagina or the awkward sex I'm not having. It's about finding some common experiences we have all gone through to feel connected to life again. Mm. (laughs) I have to laugh, Lauren. It's such a good story and I relate to every word of it. Thank you so much. So let's take a quick break here. We'll let you catch your breath and then we will get into it. Hi friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, my name is Anna Coleman, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 27. I was a newlywed ready to start my life and here came the big C. Now, it was a few years into dealing with my treatment and survivorship that I met April and learned about the Wildfire magazine. I then, in the years that followed, would have many opportunities to both read Wildfire magazine, write for Wildfire magazine, and even share my story on the podcast. They have been so amazing in terms of helping me feel less alone, giving me a space to share my story and my unique struggles regarding mental health, fertility, and trauma related to cancer. And I'm just so grateful for the community that Wildfire has created for myself and all the women that will come beyond me. To the outside eye, it looked like Tara Coyote was living the perfect life in the suburbs. 
with her musician husband, successful Pilates studio, and Brady Bunch-type family. What the outside world didn't see was the pivotal event that turned her life upside down. Grace, Grit, and Gratitude, a cancer thriver's journey from hospice to full recovery with the healing power of horses, is one woman's story of a profound bond with horses that carried her through nine years of pain, trauma, cancer, and the challenges of loss. It is about finding the courage to face one's shadow in the darkest hour. Follow one woman's spiritual journey of pain, perseverance, and discovery with the unexpected power of her horses and ancient teachings as her guide. Available online on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. For more information about Tara, please go to cancerwarriors.com. All right. Thank you so much for that lovely testimonial, Anna, and for your support of Wildfire and the Burn, Tara. All right. Turning back to you, Lauren, thank you again for that story, this powerful look into what life post-diagnosis is like for you. And I have to say right off the bat, before I even ask you any questions, this is what storytelling has the power to do. You know, we just got to walk a mile in your shoes. And I know most of us listening can relate so deeply to what you just shared. So it's not only building an empathy, but also letting us feel whole in our experience too. We aren't the only one having those weird encounters, those weird black mirror moments. And so hats off to you. Thank you for, for being so explicit in it. I really loved your story. Thank you for saying that. It's a very vulnerable share. It is. So you wrote this five years ago, or we published it five years ago. Maybe you wrote it a little more than that, honestly. Do you, reading it now, have have any update for us? I, I think you're past the expander stage now. I'm curious if you're still in menopause. Like, where, yeah. where are you at these days with your body? Yeah, so I just reached my five-year um, NED anniversary, if you will. Um, so five years cancer-free, which is a really big deal for triple negative um, cancer survivors. And mm. I got my expanders switched out um, in June of that year uh, and then um, had implants put in over the muscle. And like I said, they've got good curve appeal. I really am happy with the results. I'm one of the lucky ones in that way, I think. I have so many friends who experience such hardships in the reconstruction process. And I really didn't. Um, so I'm really grateful for that and uh, how they turned out if you will. Um, I am no longer in menopause. It took me about nine or 10 months after finishing chemo in order to have a, a period come back and then a little longer before it got regular. Um, however, they weren't sure of my ability to have a baby at that time. Um, and uh, I learned actually last year in a really intense way that I do have the ability to get pregnant. Um, I actually went through an ectopic pregnancy last year um, around this time. So oh, wow. now that I have that information, I'm on birth control <laughs> for the first time and I don't know how long. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited at that possibility if it happens in the future. Yeah. I, it's a weird thing to say congratulations on an eptopic, but like having information about your body, that's, that's huge. It is. It was, a. Mm -hmm. Not the way I'd like to have find out, found out about it, but it really, um, it taught me a lot. And I, I learned through that process for sure. 
another chapter in puberty, right? Like, hello, reproduction. Exactly. Here we go. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I guess, like I said, it's a weird, awkward congratulations, but I love hearing these updates. Um, congratulations on Ned for five years, too. That's a really big deal, as you said, especially in the triple negative community. So I'm really, I'm happy for you. Me too. I threw a big party and had friends buy me a five balloon and it was great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. What did we do before the Mylar number balloons were a thing, right? Like they're so perfect. It's so good. So let me ask you some questions here about your piece. So toward the end of your essay, you write, it's about finding some common experiences we have all gone through to feel connected to life again. And I wonder if you could go a little bit deeper into that, into that connection and that connected feeling to life in order to, I, I don't know, feel that commonality with the community. Can you just talk a little more about that? Sure. Yeah, I think I actually meant that in two ways. Um, one, of course, is to feel connected within the cancer community, um, but also on a larger scale to just people in general, right? If I could talk to somebody during that time and say, and they're asking me how I'm feeling, I could say, like, I'm in puberty right now. And it gave me context to my experience to others as well. And that connection to people was really important to me because in the aftermath, you know, everybody was like, oh, you're done with chemo. And you're like, but I'm still a shell of the person who went through the chemo. It's not over yet for me. Um, helped me contextualize my experience um, mm -hmm. in a larger way. Mm. I like that. And I like the use of writing to kind of get in touch with that. Were parts of your story being revealed to you as you were writing this or did it kind of come out fully formed? You know, sometimes we do sit down and it's like, I already know the story and here it is. Um, but sometimes it is an exploration and part of the process of acceptance. Do you recall now looking back how this piece emerged yeah. for you? I think it was a combination of both um, thought out and explorative because it was such a vulnerable piece. Um, there was some censorship happening and it took a lot to like edit that away and be raw, um, knowing that, you know, my family could read this and they have, <laughs> you know, like my aunt and uncle have the book. <laughs> um, so I think there was a bit of um, like thought out of how I wanted it to go and what I wanted to highlight and then kind of filling in the vulnerable details as my comfort level increased mm -hmm. through the writing process. How does it feel having it out in the world now and, you know, having having your aunt and uncle hold it in their hands? Like, how does that sit for you? Well, they read it, first of all. I didn't just hold it in their hands. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> um, you know, it feels good. It feels, uh, I feel really seen um, and heard. Um, my family, uh, specifically my uncle who has it, so that we write really similarly, which felt nice to hear. Mm. Um, that we share that. And, you know, it's something that I'm really proud of. And I can't believe it's been that long since I wrote it, and that it's still potentially having impact and connection for other people. So something I'm really proud of. Yeah, 100%. I, I love it. And I love that you're able to be that vulnerable. And I know you, um, you know, we've done some work together. And I've known you for a few years now. And I feel like authenticity is a little bit your middle name, maybe a big part of your middle name. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about the work that you do now and how you help people heal and um, 
yeah, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Will you tell us a little bit about that work? Sure, sure. Um, so I'm a trained and certified uh, life coach, as well as a Reiki, Usai Reiki 2 practitioner. And most recently, I went through a trauma-informed entrepreneur certification. And I hold space to meet humans first, right? I really um, honor the humanity um, and experience and uh, the person sitting in front of me first and foremost. So I don't necessarily have specific people I work with. Um, but I do tend to have people in some sort of transition in their life, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or a divorce or a big move, um, really helping people see themselves clearly from an outside perspective, understand themselves, learn the language of expressing our feelings and needs, um, as well as looking towards the future and seeing how we can shift things of patterns that are present now from the past into something more um, helpful for you moving forward in the future. Um, so it's really important for me to um, hold that space in um, a way that acknowledges my privilege, um, as well as the lived experiences, mental health, um, ethnicity, um, and other uh, lived experiences of myself and others and how different they are, um, and really working to co-create a space that feels safe over time with my clients. Um, so that's kind of what my one-on-one -on -one space looks like, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, and then with my work with the Breasties, I just went through this entire revamp of our virtual programming. We on, are onboarding 50 new community hosts volunteers right now, um, which is the people that will be running our support groups virtually for the next year. Um, and so training space holders is what I do there. And it's so fulfilling to be able to share my knowledge and spread it into space holders in our community. Um, so that's a, a, a love, a love project for sure, for sure. Oh, I really like that you're doing that work. And that's like probably the perfect segue to the last thing I wanted to ask you, which was about your work. But, you know, I know that Prior to your diagnosis, you were working as a life coach, you were getting into that area. And I'm just wondering how you would say that the experience of breast cancer maybe has, um, I don't know if it's shifted or just added another like filter to the work that you do. Like, how would you characterize that? Oh, we could have a whole episode on this. Uh, it changed my life. I was a victim to it until five days after finishing chemotherapy and my feet hit the sand on a beach in Mexico. And I felt connection to source for the first time in my life, the breeze, the sun, the feeling of the sand and my neuropathy ridden feet. And I was like, there's something else here. I don't have to be a victim to this. It gets to be something that happened in my life for me, not to me. Mm -hmm. um, so it really changed my path from wanting to be career focused, which is not a space that I want to be working in to being working with humans in, in their humanness, um, which is when I went through training and all of that. So cancer was a huge shift, not only in my professional life, but personally too, and how I saw myself in the world. Um, so it was definitely a bigger part of wanting to get more specific training, want to be trauma informed, especially to work with people who are affected by trauma um, in a way that felt uh, ethically aligned for me. Um, so yeah, it definitely had a big, big impact for me. Mm. Okay. You're making me need to do a shout out to you specifically, but to everyone listening, we have an, 
issue of wildfire coming up that you need to write for because I need to have you back so we can talk about this part. So the issue that's coming up that you need to write this story for is called New Normal. Mm. And I really want to get into that clarity that has come post-diagnosis. You know, I'm really reticent to say, um, you know, I don't know, the whole silver linings thing like kind of rubs me a little bit wrong. But there is a clarity that comes from an experience, a traumatic experience like breast cancer. I had it. You had it. I think a lot of people have had it. And a lot of people are searching for it and want to know what that might look like. So you have to think about writing for that. And I'm excited about it because when I say new normal, and this is a phrase that I really hate also, mm-hmm. I'm planning to like cross the new out. And it's just like, this is normal. This is where we're at, you know, and yeah. this is where we are. So think about writing that story, Lauren. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. And to everyone listening, please tell your stories there. We'll put some info about uh, deadlines and everything else in the show notes. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being here with me. I wish we could chat all day about all of this. You gave me goosebumps at the end there with your feet in the sand in Mexico. I just, I love everything that you have to say. So where can people find you online and and know more about you and work with you? You can find me on Instagram at Lauren Elise Ox, L-A-U-R-E-N-E-L-I-S-E-O-X. Um, or loxenhandler at gmail.com. I'd love to have a conversation with you and connect one-on-one. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Today's writer and guest was Lauren Oxenhandler. Her piece was called Puberty in Purgatory at 31, and that was in our 2018 body issue, Wildfire, and she is in Igniting the Fire Within, our book that's out now. I'm April Stearns. You've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 40 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a Wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Here is your writing prompt. So in her story, Lauren uses an analogy to write about the aftermath of her breast cancer diagnosis. She wrote about the aftermath feeling like puberty in purgatory. Your writing prompt is to decide what your personal analogy is for your experience post-diagnosis. So start off with cancer is like or life after cancer is like. Find those exact words for your experience. This is a huge part of the healing power of writing and storytelling. Write for eight minutes without stopping. See what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.